Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Himalaya. You're listening to That Conversation, a Himalaya learning production. For exclusive content and to talk to me directly, go to Himalaya.com and enter the promo code JUDGELEN at checkout to get your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm going to start this episode by telling you the story about the woman who left her camera in Mississippi. We were in divorce court. I had a couple in front of me. They're originally from Mississippi, but they now lived in California. She was all day unhappy. He was all day angry. He kept telling me story after story about how he tried to make her happy, how he tried to satisfy her. But no matter what he did, no matter how hard he tried, no matter what he listened to, no matter what he did, she was perpetually unhappy. Then I spoke to her and she told me about all his failures and his faults, all the things that he did wrong. And I couldn't understand where they were coming from until she told me the story about her camera in Mississippi. And then it all made sense. They had moved to California from Mississippi where they had always lived because he was pursuing his dream. She wasn't happy about it. She wasn't on board with it, but she really wanted him So she moved. Every time she asked him for something, he would do it because he felt like he owed her. But no matter what he did, she wasn't happy. So I started talking to her, asking her why she was so unhappy and drilling down on all the specifics of the things that she said he didn't do for her. And finally, she said something that just turned on the light. She said, well, I would find my own way or habits or things to do here in California, but I left my camera in Mississippi. I told you that story because this episode is about what's happening in your head. There is no way in the world that you can have effective communication with the person you're in love with unless you know what it is you want and how to ask for it. The woman who left her camera in Mississippi was a little bit depressed and wasn't on board for the move. She thought that if she asked for what she wanted and got it, she would somehow be happy. So she kept asking for little things, but those little things aren't what she wanted. What she needed to do is take a moment with herself, figure out exactly what was going on in her head, and then communicate those needs to her man. 
but she didn't do it. She kept talking about all the things that she left. You know, there are cameras in California, but that was not her problem. Even though she kept telling him, he won't take me back to Mississippi to get my camera out of storage. That was her last hold on, I think my problem is him, when in fact, it really wasn't. Hi, I'm Judge Lynn Toller, and this podcast is about that conversation. You know the conversation that I'm talking about, the one you're trying to have with the person that you're in love with. This episode is called What's Happening in Your Head because meaningful conversation doesn't start with how to start your sentences or how to come to a conversation. It's all about understanding what you want and knowing how to convey that need. Just for an example, if you're trying to build a building, you got to know what kind of materials that you're working with. You can't hammer sand to anything. You can't bend steel with your hands. So you have to know what you're working with in order to make your work work out right. In order to be an effective communicator in a relationship, you really have to know what you want. You cannot get someone to fulfill a need that you aren't able to articulate. I don't care how well your Uber driver knows the city. If you don't know where you want to go and don't have the ability to tell him about it, he can't take you where you want to be. There are two very important things you have to do in deciding to have that good conversation. The first is knowing who you are, what you've been through, and how that sets up in your head. If you're not emotionally intelligent, you won't be able to ask for what you need. The problem is everybody thinks they're rational when, in fact, often more times than not, they are simply feeling. And the reason that occurs is that we feel far faster than we think. I could talk about the nanoseconds and the milliseconds that take for a thought to go to your amygdala or your cerebral cortex and tell you why one shows up so much later than the other. But instead, I'm just going to give you an example that I think will clear the whole thing up. Let's say you're sitting in your living room and you live in Boise, Idaho, for example. Not a lot of lions running around Boise. But you look up one day and lo and behold, in through a window comes a lion. Big, mean, angry, growling lion. Don't make no sense. Not something you would anticipate, yet here he is. You're not going to have to sit in your living room and ask yourself, huh, I wonder why there's a lion here. What's he doing in Boise? Why is he in my house and what in the world should I do about it? That's what thinking is for. What you do instead is when you see that sucker come through the window, you jump and you run. That's your emotional self taking care of your physical self before your intellectual self ever gets the message. Since we feel so much faster than we think, 
We tend to convey our feelings, our emotions, our needs, our wants, and our fears before we convey the information that will allow the person that we're in love with to do what we feel they need to do. So the first thing you need to do to have that great conversation with the person that you're in love with is to make sure your own emotional house is in order. You got to know what you need, what you want, what you feel, and what you want from the other person. In order to get intimately familiar with your own emotional house, you first have to consider what your base personality is. And base personality is like the factory settings on your computer. It's how you show up in this world before anybody or anything has had a chance to lean on it. You know, there are all kinds of people in this world, outgoing, introverted, funny, angry, uh, uh, anxious, fearful, uh, domineering, uh, all kinds of people. And you got to know what kind of person you are. Don't judge you. Don't don't wag your finger at you. Don't ask yourself who you want to be. Ask yourself who you were born to be. For instance, I was born to be anxious and nervous. That's just what it was. I was a loud, crazy baby because I had I had a lot of anxiety going on out of the gate. There were things that made it worse and there were things that made it better. But at my base, at my bottom, I'm a nervous chick. I always take that into account before I open my mouth. The thing that most people don't take into account when they're talking to somebody they're in love with is that they're a whole lot less likely to consider who they are and how they come across because you're in love. They should understand you. But here's the question. If you don't really understand you, how can they? So what I would like you to do is take a moment, step back, and take a look at who you are at your base. How do you deal with everybody? What emotions pop up first? Can you list all of your traits and your idiosyncrasies? Because inside those traits and idiosyncrasies lies the emotional underpinnings of everything you want and need. And it turns out to be a part of everything you choose to convey. Let me give you an example from my time on municipal court. I was there one day and there was a domestic violence charge uh, against a, a woman, against her husband. She had thrown some a bottle of applesauce at him or something. I don't really remember what, but I'll call them Bob and Doris. Bob and Doris had a 17-year-old and this 17-year-old as 17-year-olds are wont to do, was causing a lot of trouble. He wasn't going to school. He wouldn't do his homework. You know the drill. His father kept saying to his mother, you know, we need some help for that boy. You know, we need to do something beyond what we've already done because they had tried this, that, and everything else and couldn't get him to act right. Those conversations that he had with her made her livid. She replied to him with, I'm a good mother. I don't know why you're saying what you're saying. What are you trying to say to me? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. She was angry. And she communicated the fact that she thought 
he was attacking her when in fact he was simply suggesting a new approach. What I finally figured out after I sent her to the probation department and we talked to her is that she was very insecure. And any time you criticized what was going on in her household that had anything to do with her, she heard criticism. She heard an indication of her lack of value. Her insecurities changed what she heard, which made what she said irrelevant. Not only was it irrelevant, it started causing more trouble. And eventually, when he didn't understand what she was trying to tell her, she lobbed some produce at him from across the room. She had to understand her needs, her desires, and her personality so she could receive the information that she was getting and respond appropriately, which, by the way, was a manner in which to help 17. In court, let me tell you what I told her after I figured out what her underlying problem was. I said, you know, I got a kid at home. He ain't 17, he's a little bit younger, but he is a lot of work, and I have legions of people that I have brought in on the situation to help me. Now, here I was, a judge, all of that, and I was admitting to her that I had failures, quote unquote, that looked like her own, and that maybe those failures, quote unquote, were not really failures. They were just an inability to get it done with what you already had on hand. And good motherhood is not about you fixing all your kids' problems. It's about bringing aboard anybody or anything that can help you fix your problems. That's what I'm talking about. All I'm trying to say is this. You got to know who you are as a person. You have to know how you feel because your feelings jump ahead of your intellect all of the time, especially when you're home talking to someone who's supposed to understand and love you. You got to get your own emotional house in order so you say what you need to say so you don't think that your partner isn't giving you what you want because he doesn't want to or because she doesn't know how or because she's inadequate, but because you have not relayed the needs that you really have. That's the one. The second thing you need to know about is the people you were raised around. You know, none of us came here and ready to roll like turtles. You know how turtles do? The mother turtle lays the eggs, and then when they hatch, mom is gone, and the turtles just make it best they can. They're not instructed. They're not told anything. They just make their way in the world. We, however, are very different. We are all born into families, into cultures, into religions, into race, creed, all kinds of things that lean on who we are. And the thing that leans on you most and first is the people in your house. You have to understand how the things that are around you lean on you so you understand what you believe is the appropriate way to communicate and what you consider normal, abnormal, needs, wants, and desires. So you have to ask yourself, who's living in your house? Was there a dominating personality there? In my house, 
I had a father with a dominating personality. That determined how we conducted communication in our household. We never said we never said anything to him. We talked around him. There were subjects that we were not allowed to raise. There were subjects that we could raise. You learn what's appropriate to speak on based upon who lives with you. What about your culture? What's cool where you live, but not necessarily where somebody else lives? Do you have what I used to call a high-volume household? In court, I used to see people all of the time that were in a constant state of rage, usually on a very subtle but real domestic violence charge where somebody, you know, launched cabbage across a room. And what I found is that a lot of people live in what I call high-volume households, which means everybody's always angry. So everybody starts out at a at a nine from one to 10. So in order to get heard, you have to go to a 10. So all of your conversations are anxious and angry and you become an anxious and angry person. Also, when you get out of that house and in any relationship you go into, you believe that you start at a nine. Not because of your personality, but because that's what you used to have to do in order to get heard in your house. What I'm asking you to do is step away from who you are and how you live and take a look at who you lived with. How did they establish communication in your home? What was a good topic, not a good topic? Were you voluble? Were you always talking about everything? Were you emotional? Were you demonstrative? You're going to take all of that from that script and you're going to read that script in whatever relationship you're in. Or sometimes you're going to take that script, realize you didn't like it, and do anything but what's on that script. But again, who you lived with determines how you behave out in the world, and especially when you're alone in a room with someone you love, because you think that is the appropriate interpersonal behavior. Ain't no right in it, ain't no wrong in it, but what you have to do is understand it. Let me give you another example from divorce court. I had this beautiful woman in court with this lovely man, and they loved each other a great deal. This woman, however, was convinced that that man didn't love her because he didn't satisfy her needs. Now, her needs weren't necessarily based on her own personal emotions that she was born with. Instead, what I discovered was this. Madam Beautiful, I'll call her Barbara. Barbara lived in a home with a father that doted on her, which, by the way, is an extraordinary thing. It makes your daughter strong. It makes them less likely to fall for the yoke-doke when they get out into the world. But that's a conversation for another day. That said, if Barbara even said, man, that was a pretty doll, The next day, that doll was on her bed. So what she learned is that a man that loves you will listen to what you have to say, assess whatever need you may have or whatever desires you might have, and then fulfill it without you asking. That's what she learned. It wasn't right. It wasn't wrong. But it wasn't the way her husband conducted business. He needed an ask. He wasn't that guy hovering around his wife waiting for her to to just glance upon a desire and then fulfill it. So she thought 
he didn't love her. She thought he wasn't listening. She thought she wasn't conveying herself correctly because he never did what she wanted. Her environment taught her that. So what I'm asking you to do is step back, take a look at your environment. How did you interact? How did you speak? What did you say? Who said it? How they responded to it? And ask yourself, is that because of the personalities in the house? Is that something I want to repeat? Is that something that's working well with the man or the woman that I'm with? That gives you a whole nother perspective on what your needs and wants are. Because like I said, if the Uber driver doesn't know where you're headed and you can't communicate with him, he won't take you there. I'm going to take this one step further so you can see a typical male-female dynamic here. Uh, Oftentimes, I saw in divorce court men saying to women, you don't respect me. Oftentimes, I saw men say that when they felt uncomfortable about what they're contributing to the relationship. If the woman is working, making more money, society is still kind of, dude, you're not doing the right thing. Even though I don't believe in that, that's how a lot of people feel. These guys expressed their emotional state to their partners in a way that said, you are doing something wrong. Therefore, you are the reason that I feel the way I do because they're not in touch with their own emotional house. They don't feel well because they're not doing what they think they ought to be doing in society's eyes. But they believe that since they've communicated that lack of respect to their partner, that their partner indeed is the reason that they feel that way. I always say this, people think I'm crazy, but I believe it's true. Men need applause when they least deserve it. How she needed to communicate with him was to give him applause when he didn't deserve it, not keep reminding him that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to doing. Oh, he was well aware, and that's where his pain was. I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about that when I talk about the great hormonal divide, but I just wanted you to see what the lack of understanding of your emotional underpinnings does to your communication. So I can encourage you to do the homework I'm about to give you in a little minute. Let's go on the opposite side of this. I've had a woman in my courtroom who was absolutely gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. But she kept saying, He never shows me any love. He never expresses any kindness. He just has me hanging out here, feeling like I'm nothing and nobody. I watch the conversations he has with other women, and I think they're nicer than the conversations that he has with me. Then I spoke to him, and he told me all of the kinds of things he always said to her. And I looked at her, and she confirmed, yep, he said that, yep, he said that. Yep, he said that. So at the end, I said, so how do you come away with the belief that this man don't love you, honor you, respect you, and all of the above? 
We had a conversation, and I found out the last two idiots she dated were mean to her. They didn't respect her. They're one of these guys that got a woman and then didn't treat her right. So she was seeing and hearing what he said through the mouths of those other dudes. They had set up shop in her mind and distorted her man's words. She had to get her emotional house in order so she could hear what was said, so she could communicate with him in a way that made them both happy. You feeling me on this? I hope so, because it's all about feeling before saying, so the saying does what you need it to do. So here's the takeaway from this episode. Make sure you know what's happening in your head as a function both of who you are, your own personality, how your mind works, what your factory settings are. And then take a look at your culture, at your home, at your family. What script are you reading off of? What did your circumstances tell you was okay, not okay? What to say, what not to say? How to feel and how to express? You need to do all of those things before you even open your mouth so you can conduct your business with a person that you love, like someone who really knows what they're doing. All I'm saying is make sure you know what's going on in your own emotional house, the materials it's built with, and the people that help you construct it. So you can have a firm belief and indication and understanding what you need so you can start that conversation with the person that you're with from a place of light and understanding. It makes things so, so much easier. You will not believe how many conversations die at their inception because the people really don't know what topic that they're on. Now, I'm not saying that you got to sit down with a pen and paper and write down everything that has ever happened to you, have to decide every personality trait and peculiarity that you have. What I am saying is you do have to take some time to think it through. There's nothing wrong with thinking. There's nothing wrong with sitting back and considering before you convey I believe that thinking is underrated these days. We have so many opportunities to express ourselves. We seem compelled to do that without any thought going on beforehand. It makes for a lot of consternation and issues, especially when you're talking blind to the person that you're in love with. I'm going to end this with a story about a 20-year-old argument over watermelon. This is a story about my husband, I call him Big E, and me. We've been married, I don't know how long we've been married, we've been together for 33 years. And every time I bought watermelon, which I like a great deal, it used to irritate the living daylights out of my husband. He would have something snarky to say, he would be upset about it, and I would look at him all funny wondering, what is this man's problem with my watermelon? It started a lot of stupid arguments for no particular reason at all. At one point, I even stopped buying watermelon, resented it for him, and that popped up in our conversations as well. 
Then I had a conversation with his brother. His brother told me that when he was young, Big E, he was in charge of taking out the garbage. Now, this is back in the 50s when we didn't have plastic bags and there were nothing but paper bags lining the garbage pan. His mother, whom he loved to the moon and back, loved watermelon. And every time she would put the watermelon rinds into the trash can, it soaked the bag. When he pulled it out, the bag would break watermelon and all the garbage on the floor, and he had to clean it up. That put watermelon in his mind as a bad thing. And since he hadn't set that down or sought it through, the fact that his irritating new wife liked watermelon set off all those negative emotions in his head. And since he didn't know where they came from, and since I was the one with the watermelon, he directed them at me. Now, it's not a big deal. It's not an important deal. But it's an easy example to see. So now that we're done talking about what's going on in your head, I'm going to leave you with another assignment. Your homework is much the same as last time, but I'm going to ask it to be a little specific. I'm going to ask you to step back and take a good hard look in your own emotional mirror. Don't look for winners and losers and right or wrong. Instead, just look for patterns. Look at your family without judgment, without saying yes or no or right or wrong or good or bad, and just see what it's set up in your head as the script that you will most likely follow. In the next episode, we're going to take this one further. After you figure out what's going on in your head, you've got to figure out what's going on in your partner's head. That's a little harder. That's going to take some time, but I believe it can be done. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you join me next time. In the interim, don't forget to join That Conversations community on Himalaya.com. I'll be answering the questions that you leave there. So please leave some. I don't want to be lonely. Until next time. To get the most out of this show, check out my exclusive episodes available only on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app on the go. To talk to me directly and access exclusive content from other shows like mine, go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code JudgeLynn for your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Enjoy.